Good morning. So uh, here we are. And I just have a question to start off with today because, of course, we're in the season of Advent and we're talking about waiting and expectation. And so here's a question. How many of you enjoy waiting? This is informal. Kevin likes to wait. Kevin can wait. That's awesome. Right. So Kevin is all alone. By and large, we don't like to wait for stuff, do we? That's not uh, part of, for whatever reason, how we're made. Um, It seems like that waiting for stuff can be one of the most frustrating things. And our society kind of continues to try and find ways to help us not have to wait for things, right? Uh, A good example of this uh, would be, you know, because the customer is always right. And the customer doesn't want to wait. And so we have these entire industries that are being built around not having to wait for things. And so the example that I think about, like serving the customer faster and those kinds of things, um, of course, I'm going to go to my coffee example, and that would be uh, Starbucks, for example. When Starbucks first opened, they were actually just a regular old coffee shop, right? They would roast their own coffee. They had the traditional espresso machines, and so you'd have a barista that would have to be an expert, and they'd have to pull the espresso, and if they got it wrong, they'd throw that one away, and they would you know, pull another one. And then as they grew into this chain, they started to have to be more efficient uh, in their model. And so as more people came, uh, more customers came through, they were having to do all these different things. They had to become more efficient. So now they have these coffee robots, And the barista just pushes a button, and it gives them a perfect shot every time, right? And then over time, they had to uh, modify the way they served customers, and so now they have a drive-through. So you don't even have to go into the store if you want a coffee. You can just get in a really long line and wait, ironically, in the drive-through. And as a matter of fact, now they even have an app, and it's on your phone, and so you can actually order your coffee while you're getting ready for your day, and then go pick it up. You can even tell them what time you're going to show up, and it will be there ready, waiting for you. Grocery stores are another great example of this. I've heard some of you uh, talk about, oh, man, it's the best. You can like order your groceries online at hy V and you just go pick them up. You don't even have to go inside. You don't even have to like look at every cantaloupe anymore. You can just have them pick one for you. It's amazing. Or Walmart, they're doing that too. Lots of people are. And so uh, we never have to set foot in a store if we don't want to, because we don't like to wait. I want to go, I want to get it, I want to go home, I want to do my thing. To me, nothing symbolizes waiting more, and I'm sure some of you guys can, can identify with this, nothing symbolizes waiting for something more than hospitals. <laughs> right, sister? Right, I'm feeling you. So, hospitals are filled with people, just like you and me, that are waiting. Uh, They're waiting for a doctor. They're waiting for a report. They're waiting for a diagnosis. They're waiting for a surgery. They're waiting for a therapy. They're waiting for recovery. They're waiting for a loved one, right? You go in and you see all these people sitting, waiting for a loved one to come in or out or whatever's happening there. People who are even waiting for a cure sometimes in hospitals. And when you look around the hospital, you'll see all of these people... And they're waiting. Everybody's waiting for something. It doesn't seem like things are happening, but yet behind the scenes of all of that waiting, hidden from your view, right? You have doctors and nurses and people doing their jobs to try and get answers or find out things to hopefully end the waiting for the people that are waiting out there. Uh, Pastor Louis Giglio, many of you know who he is, but he talks about this and he points out that we're people who are waiting too. Uh, we're waiting on things like a restoration maybe of a relationship, a relationship to be mended, uh, waiting on a job, waiting on the next thing in our lives, uh, waiting for someone to come through or come into our lives, or in some cases waiting for someone to leave or to exit our lives, uh, waiting on a financial breakthrough. Some people are even waiting on a baby or a child. There's all this waiting. And just like the hospital example, sometimes when we look around our lives, we see, all we see is waiting, right? We see like we're waiting. We don't really know what's happening, waiting around for the next 
thing to happen or for God to do something, but it seems like nothing is happening. How many of you would say that you've ever had a time in your life where you felt like that was true? Yeah, right? We're all in that boat. So this weekend we begin this season of Advent, and waiting is what Advent is all about. Advent means expectation, and as we look ahead to Christmas, we're going to be kind of talking about that theme more and more. So today I really want to do just one thing. I just want to encourage you. Our theme today is hope, and I want to encourage you that no matter how it seems, hold on to hope. Because God is always working behind the scenes. We may not see it. It may not be evident necessarily to our eyes or in the things that surround us. But the truth is, he is always working, and he always comes through. Scripture assures us of this, and we're going to look at it today. So I'm, I said that the he always comes through. We're waiting on hope, or we're holding out hope eventually. Mm, that's nice. Had to get a dad joke in there somewhere. Come on. So, just to give you a quick overview of where we're at here in history, before Jesus was born, uh, when man fell at the very beginning, ever since that point, people were waiting. They were waiting for a savior. The prophets uh, used words to express the longing that they had, the hope of the Savior to come as they foretold his coming, which is amazing. Isaiah describes it in chapter 53. He describes Jesus as a suffering servant, the Messiah that was going to come. Daniel had a vision of the Son of Man entering into God's glorious presence with all peoples and all nations gathered around him in an eternal kingdom. And then the prophet Micah spoke of God's shepherd king who would be born in Bethlehem. And those are just three examples of 300 or more prophecies that, com- that were actually completed in the life of Jesus. And I don't have time to go into that, but statistically speaking, it's next to impossible for any of that to occur. Even just eight of those things to have occurred, much less 300 to be uniquely completed in one man. And so it had to be divine in its orchestration. So if you're like me... Sometimes I read things like that or I read things like the scripture that we had today or the ones that we'll read in the coming weeks. I read those things, and if I'm honest, I just don't feel it. You know what I mean? I read it, I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I get it, but I don't feel it. Like, I mean, how long? Like, how long are we going to have to wait for this to happen? It seems like we've been waiting forever. The urgency and the excitement that the writers of scripture had can be lost on us, I think, sometimes. We don't have that same like expectancy that they had, and it can be lost over the course of centuries. When Scripture is moved for its, from its original language into modern language or into English, sometimes the context is lost. Sometimes uh, there are things that maybe we don't see there. Uh, King James, for example, King James English, like when you look at the King James Version of the Bible, it's very beautiful. It's very poetic in the way that it expresses scripture. But there's also a part of it that because it's so poetic to us in our context, that it takes almost all of the grit and the dirt out of the story in a way. Because it sounds so poetic and it sounds so proper. So that's why I think it's important for us to always be putting everything into context, to be putting flesh and blood on Scripture, on these people, because they were real people, just like us, with real problems, just like us, crying out to God in very real ways, just like us. But most of the time, when we think of like Israel's anticipation or God's people anticipating this coming Messiah, we do so with about as much zeal as watching golf or watching paint dry or watching C-SPAN coverage, unless you're Josh Hurlburt, then you love that. That's about as much anticipation as we can muster for that feeling. By the time that Jesus was born, the Jewish people had been waiting for hundreds of years for God to send his promised Messiah. However, we already know who the Messiah is, right? We've been let in. So there's no mystery for us or suspense about fulfillment of prophecies like these and many others in Scripture regarding Messiah. So for us, it's a little different. But if I were to say today, like if I'd come up here at the very beginning and said, you know what, today I'm going to talk about Revelation. 
you know what? We're going to discuss the identity of the Antichrist today. Maybe Bible codes or anything that seems remotely prophetic. All of a sudden, the X-Files theme starts playing. And you guys all sit up in your seats because you want to know what that's about, right? I would suggest to you that this is the feeling of anticipation that we should have. That this is the feeling of anticipation that the people that look forward to Messiah's coming the first time had. At times, to them, it probably seemed like God had just stopped talking. At times, I'm sure that it seemed to them uh, that they'd grown weary, waiting. And they wondered, how long? So tired, so tired of waiting. So tired of waiting for you. Right? The kinks were prophetic. They were getting weary. Maybe they'd lost hope that God was going to come through for them at all. Maybe they felt like they'd blown it. They watch their country, right? They watch their temple actually destroyed. More than once. And then right before Jesus shows up on the scene, they're waiting while Romans occupy not only their world, but the whole world. And I'm sure that made things feel even more hopeless. It made them long even more for this great deliverer that God had promised. And they're like, okay, that's great. Where are you? The writers of the New Testament like Paul... Peter, these guys, they'd grown up in this environment of waiting for the Messiah to show up. And so there they are. And then all of a sudden, something amazing happens. The Messiah actually shows up on the scene. But as a humble child, he grows up and he astounds the people around him because he's wonderful. He opens up their understanding of God's word like never before. His name is Yeshua, and that means salvation. And it's very easy to believe when you watch him at work. As all these regular Joes and just common people, people on the margins and the fringes of society, are loved and embraced and invited into fellowship with the Father. People are healed. Prophecies are fulfilled. The kingdom is rocking, right? And then... All of a sudden, just when the story's getting really, really good, he's taken from them. But only to rise again with a promise to return, only next time as a king. And then the waiting began again. This is the feeling of anticipation that these men and women with Jesus on the scene would have had. And the writers of our New Testament scriptures would have had as they believed that his return was imminent. Every new day brought new hope that this could be the day. You can read it right in all of those words that they had. This could be the day. Any minute. Hang in there. Like that little cat poster. Hang in there. It's almost Friday. This is the type of excitement that I hope that we can embrace the coming weeks with. The season of anticipation. So I want to define hope for us if we're going to talk about it. Hope is simply this. An expectation of the fulfillment of something desired or promised. Hope is an expectation of the fulfillment of something desired or promised. And so we're going to be in the book of 1 Peter. Which is kind of a weird choice really for Christmas. For Advent. It's going to be our jumping off point for the next four weeks. We've been in the book of James, and 1 Peter actually has a lot in common with it. I can't go into all the details, but here are a few. Peter was also writing to Jewish and non-Jewish people who had been displaced, scattered all over the world, who needed encouragement as they faced trials. Peter had failed miserably at times trying to follow Jesus, and we know many of those stories, right? It's one of the things I love about him is because I can relate to that. Peter's my people, right? I get Peter. 
Because Peter sometimes will say things before he does things, and then he wished he hadn't said what he said. Sometimes Peter will do things, and then he'll wish he hadn't done the things that he just did. But then that all turns around, and we see God use him many, many times, but especially in this moment where God's Spirit on Pentecost just busts wide open, and the message of Jesus goes out in the tongue of every man, woman, and child that are in Jerusalem in that moment. Peter also ends up being the main disciple that God uses to open up his kingdom to all men and women, and not just Jewish men and women. But Peter was an emotional guy. So we're going to open up here today with a passage of Scripture that I think shows Peter's urgency and his passion and his excitement. It's kind of all on display here with, with what is basically... For the word nerds here, a giant run-on sentence, okay? It just is. No way around it. So I'll read through it, but this is a warning. It's a lot to take in at once. It's kind of like drinking from a fire hydrant. And so I'm going to go back through, and I'll pick through it, but I'm going to bust it out for you here real quick. So we're going to be in 1 Peter today, verses 3 through 7. And I will try to do this justice. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we know Peter's an emotional guy. Imagine him busting this out at the very beginning of this letter that he's writing to all these people that are scattered all over the world. And what it reminds me of is when my kids would come into the house when they were really small with really exciting news about something to tell me. Like whether it was from school or something that happened with friends, they'd be like, they'd come in and be like, like they, they were trying to form words that their brains didn't have yet. And they're like, Dad, wait, Dad, wait, Dad, wait a second. Right? Parents, you know what I'm talking about. The words are there, I just have to find them, and maybe if I move around, it will shake them loose. Or maybe this is just processing. So, Dad, listen, at school, you won't believe what happened, it's amazing. Okay, what is it? You know, and you're like, as a parent, it's, it's like simultaneously exciting and somewhat frustrating. It's like, just get to the point, please. It's almost like a brain location device. You know, I'm trying to find this thing. And then eventually, they would get the words out. That's sort of what this feels like to me with Peter. It's hard not to imagine him being excited about what he's proclaiming here. As he just kind of starts going and he doesn't stop. Like if you read on, it just keeps going. But what's interesting here is this is actually a prayer or a benediction that Peter is giving according to Jewish custom, which is helpful because it means that parts of this are probably memorized so that he could get those words together that were going to follow it. It starts with this initial blessing or praise to Adonai and then proceeds to give a list of praiseworthy things that God has done. And we also see this in other places. Paul does this in 2 Corinthians and he also does it in Ephesians. But within this prayer is the key and the cornerstone, folks, to hope for all believers. So if you're ever having a hopeless moment in your life, you need to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-7. through 7. Circle that bad boy in your Bible, whatever you've got to do, because this is hope right here. This is our definition as believers. It's our definition of hope. Hope that we can hold out for, built on a promise from God to turn mere waiting into anticipation. 
So he starts, of course, with being focused on God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And just a couple of things here. He's communicating something powerful that we may miss. Because a lot of times we take this association for granted. But these people back then, this would have been a powerful reminder to them. This direct association of Jesus as God's son here. So he's connected to the Father. Next, according to his great mercy. This is perhaps the most important part of the scripture, in my opinion. John 3.16, most of us know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Right? We all, we've heard that, right? We've seen the dude with the rainbow wig and after the touchdown holding up the sign. But what's interesting about that, and it's the same thing that's happening here, is the order of the words. For God so loved that he gave. Okay, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, here's the big deal about that. There was nothing we could do. That's one of those like, I got nothing, God, Okay. We had no hope on our own outside of God's mercy on us. And yet he had compassion on his creation and he loved us so much that he chose to make a way. And this is the hope that Peter begins to talk about here. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And again, sometimes this is something that we take for granted. But this would have been a powerful reminder to these folks in this time. And that's actually the second half of John 3.16. That he gave his one and only son. And when we believe in him, we won't die, but we'll live with him forever. But here's the thing. It's more than a decision. It's more than a moment. It's more than a blip. It's actually belief, especially in that culture, meant a commitment. It was faithful following. And when we believe in that way, we are reborn into a living hope. And as part of that rebirth... We have a new identity. Uh, Our rebirth means whole new ways of thinking, whole new ways of living, whole new ways of being. It's a new framework for understanding the world that we see around us. It's not a destination where I say, yeah, I've made it. I'm just going to sit here and let everybody do stuff. Come on, Lord, come and get me. Right? No, that's not how it works. We don't just settle down and wait for God to show up on the scene. It's a process, right? Refinement is this theme that occurs over and over through Scripture. Refinement is a process. Preparation. This might be a new one for some of you. God's preparing you not just for now. Now is important, by the way. But the things that he's doing in your life now, he's preparing you for eternity. It's not just going to be cruising around on clouds, although I'm sure that will be part of it. He's got stuff for us to do now and then. Think about the very beginning in Genesis. He gave the man and the woman work to do. We've always equated that with a curse, but the curse came later. It's good. God puts things in us to do. He gives us things to do. Creation is one of the blessings, the, the kind of the bit of his image that we have in us, which is pretty exciting to me because I like to make stuff. Creation is important. And so, our refinement is for a purpose. It's preparation for what God has for us in eternity. And when we're reborn, it's this new mission that works within this world, but looking forward to this expectation we're talking about, the fulfillment when our Messiah returns. Because our hope, our living hope, is Jesus Christ or Yeshua the Messiah. Again, Yeshua means salvation. I think it's important for us to keep that in front of us. So here's the question then. Well, why? Like, why is he the hope? He's the hope because he led the way for us. He paved the way for us. Where there was no road, he made a road. Way before Doc Brown and Marty McFly. Paul said it this way. And listen, this is one of my all-time favorite passages. And Paul can be a little wordy too. Fair warning. Colossians chapter 1, 13 through 20. He's talking about God. God has rescued us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. It is through his son that we have redemption. That is, our sins have been forgiven. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He is supreme over all creation. Oh, it gets better too. Because in connection with him, we were created all things. Or sorry, in connection with him, were created all things. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether on thrones, lordships, rulers, or authorities. And let me just say there, if you don't like the way things are going in the world right now, there's hope in this passage. Because what this tells me is like, listen, God is well aware of what's happening. And God can use anything. And he's always orchestrating behind the scenes. And even when things look really lame and really hard and bad things happen, we have to hold on to the hope that everything is held together in Jesus. That's what he goes on to say. They have been created through him and for him. He existed before all things and he holds everything together, including you and me. Because there are a lot of times that I want to fall apart. Jesus went before us in all things. It continues, actually. Here we go. Verse 18. Also, he is head of the body. It says Messianic community here. That might be church in your translation, too. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that what? He might hold first place in everything. For it pleased God to have his full being live in his son. And though his son to, and through his son to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven. That's every place, folks. That's physical realm and spiritual realm. All of it is reconciled through him. Making peace through him, through having his son shed his blood by being executed on a stake. And we sang about that earlier. Here's the deal. In a nutshell, Jesus went before us in all things, including setting the example of, number one, living a life of complete faithfulness to God. He did that to be a perfect sacrifice, but he also did that to be a perfect example. Saying, hey, I'm calling you into this. Live like this for God. Remain faithful. We were the ones that were guilty of sin, and yet he dies in our place. And then he was resurrected so that we could follow him in each of these things. That's pretty cool. There's a leadership principle that says that you can never lead someone into a place that you haven't been. And I believe that it's true. But here's what's cool. Jesus has been there. He's done it. He lived. He died. He rose again. Okay, next. And now he's like, okay, come on. Come on. But I'm only 47, so I'm not in a hurry for that second step. Um, If we follow him, there is a further promise of hope. And that is attached to living with him forever. We go back to our scripture here. So it is, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? An inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed last time. We are promised, folks, a secure eternal future. And here's why that's important for us to understand. We live in a world that that cannot be a guarantee by anyone. Things that we thought would last forever, companies, all these different things, they don't. And I think that's one of the markers probably of where we are in this time. We've seen so many things that we thought would be around forever, not last. Um, A quick story. When Valerie and I were first married, we had some friends that kind of introduced us to this investment opportunity. Right? And I don't remember much about it. That's how impactful it was on me. But I do remember we got lots of cassettes that had somebody talking on them. That's about all I remember. And so I think the idea was that you would buy into this program for a small amount of money, and then you would introduce other people to the program. But I still don't know what we were supposed to be talking about or selling or whatever. You can tell it was quality, right? So not not long after that, this company actually got in trouble with the authorities, and they came in, and this whole thing got disbanded and it, because it was basically a pyramid scheme. They were taking the money, and they were shuffling around so that some people were making a lot of money off of the people that were all joining up. It was a ripoff, basically. 
And back then, I don't know what we paid. It was probably like 100 bucks or something. But especially when we were first married, although 100 bucks is kind of a lot of money now still. But you know what I'm saying, right? It was a big deal to us for a short amount of time. Anyway, or you could think of it in this way. Like even recently with the stock market crash and you have people that lost all of their retirement or you have Bernie Madoff and all of his friends basically getting rich off of other people's money or you have all of these situations where people invest everything. They invest their money, their time, their retirement only to lose all of that, their savings, everything going away. Basically, they're losing their future because they've thrown in in these things. And so they come away with nothing and they have to rebuild it all from scratch. That's hard, right? But even in the best circumstances, many people still worry that have saved for retirement. Like, I'm not sure this is going to be enough. I mean, if you ever do watch a golf on TV, every sneaking commercial is about, are you sure you have enough in retirement savings? Tells you who they think their audience is, by the way. It's a worry that we have. We worry that It will run out or not last before our lives are over. And so what our boy Pete here wants us to understand is, listen, that may be the case on this planet. However, the inheritance that God holds for you cannot be exhausted. It's not going to run out. It will never be depleted. Our salvation can never be corrupted or stained by anything. Right? He washes us white as snow, and we remain white as snow. It's made to last, and it will never fade. And we have this hope because we can count on the salvation that God has promised us through Jesus. Another cool thing here is the Greek word that's used for guarded. It's actually a military term. And the image that he wanted to evoke in our brains is that it's being guarded by garrisons of soldiers. Like, there are so many soldiers that even if you wanted to get to it, you couldn't. And these soldiers are empowered by our faith, and they're stationed around our salvation and our future with God. So we can continue on in this world hopeful with the knowledge that all these good things that God has for us, and he gives us a lot of them now. But our salvation, our eternal future, is set aside and is protected. So we can live with hope and we can live with confidence. It cannot be destroyed or stolen. We are being guarded by God's power until that time is right. And so we wait. But we wait with expectation for the day that all will be revealed. Because a day will come when all will be revealed. Where... There'll be this crossover of the spirit and physical realm, and all of the people on this planet will get the idea. Peter continues in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, I like the commas there, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And he knew who he was talking to. He's like, listen, knowing all of this, everything that I just said, wait for the day. There may be times when it's hard. In fact, Jesus promised there would be times when it would be hard. However, you have hope. The people that Peter was writing to definitely understood this, and I think we can relate too. And here's the thing. I think sometimes trials are difficult because waiting and patience are trials companions. And waiting and patience are generally not our best friends, right? I like joy. Let's talk about joy. How about some of that peace? Could you just cut me a slice of that? Might be a little bigger. But when it comes to having waiting and patience sitting side by side with us as we're going through the trials, we don't enjoy that. That's not fun. So here, I'm going to offer this. Let's look at it from another angle. There's a famous saying, most of you have probably heard this before, anything worth having is worth waiting for. I can see it in your faces right now. You're thinking about ice cream bars. And you're like, I ain't waiting, man. I'm tearing that sucker open and I'm digging in. There's a saying, anything worth having is worth waiting for. 
Do you think this is true? Raise your hand if you believe this is true, out of curiosity. Okay? Raise your hand if you believe this is not true, out of curiosity. I mean, it's your thought. There's no wrong answer. I'm just curious what you really think. (laughs) If I'm honest, and I have to be because I'm a pastor. That was a joke, by the way. Um, Not the being honest part. You get it. Anyway. I want to be clear. Most of the time I'm lying. I've always loved that when people say, let me be honest for just a second. You mean the whole hour you've been talking? You've been lying? Why would I listen to you now? Let me be honest about this particular subject here, and I'll just reveal something about myself. That's a better way to say it. I believe this is true, although I don't like to admit it. I don't like that. That doesn't make me happy in my heart. Here's the deal. We often go through life looking forward to specific moments. Thanksgiving. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. And for most of us, you know, and I get that sometimes moments are hard if you've lost someone during a season. But for most of us, there's some time that's on our calendar. Thanksgiving will be my example. That we look forward to, right? Because you get time off work most of the time. And you get to make and eat foods that you don't normally get to make and eat during the year. I mean, you could cook a turkey and you can make a pumpkin pie anytime you want, right? This is America, okay? But we don't typically do that. We save it for this moment to celebrate. We look forward to it. We get to celebrate with our family, and for most of us, that's a good thing. Our friends... And we get to take time to actually reflect on some things and maybe just slow down from the rush of life. Now, some of you, that might drive you crazy, but ultimately, that's supposed to be a gift to us, to be able to, to just stop and think about the things that we're thankful for, the blessings that we've been given. But just like any holiday, right? Once the holiday passes, the reckoning begins. You have to go back to work. Or school. And all of the work that was there is still there. <laughs> and there's even more. Where did it come from? I don't know why I did that. but It multiplies. Work multiplies when you leave it for a couple days. So you go back. You have to catch up. You're reckoning with work. You're reckoning with your scale as you start to curse yourself for eating yet a fifth chocolate caramel sea salt pecan pie bar. Those exist. And they're wonderful. And sometimes there can be, in fact, lots of times, I would say, if I'm being honest, that there's a letdown, right? Right? It's like the holiday was great, but I'm trying to put my house back together. And I mean, just you got all the stuff and then you're trying to get ready for whatever's next. This letdown happens. Why is that? I think part of it is that we spend so much time looking forward and planning the event or the moment. And then the moment arrives and it's wonderful, right? And then it's over. And all of the stuff before it's like big. And then you have the moment. And then you have all of the stuff after it that's big. But if you really think about it, the reason that moment is great is because you waited for it. Really. Anticipation is actually the thing that we enjoy, folks. My birthday's in December. Do you know how long a year lasted when I was a kid? Seriously. Now I can't get the years to stop like this. Just, woo, it's December again. But when I was a kid, the anticipation, like one year I knew that I was going to get a bicycle for my birthday. And I was so excited because I got to actually go to the store and pick it out. And I saw it in the Sears catalog. It was the Huffy Bandit. And it was awesome. And it was stolen two weeks later. Sad. I know, that is sad actually, but that's not the point of the story. I was so excited about this bicycle. 
I was so excited that I got to go pick it out. We went down to Venture. Right? Venture. Sorry, kids, you don't know what Venture is, but it was great. Their clearance section of toys. Oh, man, if I could go in there now. Anyway. So, went down to Venture, got this bicycle. I was so excited about this bicycle. And it's December, so it's snowing. I didn't care. I went outside on that bicycle and I rode up and down the street until my little numb fingers are about to fall off. But I was so excited about like I anticipated. I knew for a long time I was getting that bike. And then the moment came and it was glorious. But I would say that the anticipation that preceded the getting of that bicycle was what made that bicycle work it, worth it. That's why many people will have their kids actually save for something that's expensive. Right? Have you ever done that? You're going to buy your own car, kid. You're going to do this, right? The reason we do it is because when you work for it, it means something. When you wait for it, it means more. Anticipation is the thing that we really enjoy, and anticipation should change the way that you live, especially in regard to the return of a coming king. When you're looking forward to something, there's an excitement in the air. When people talk about the magic of Christmas in the air, it's anticipation. And as that day draws closer, our excitement increases. Christmas is the only time of the year that all of our children get up before the sun does. Unprovoked. Right? You have it good on Hanukkah because you stay up late. It works out better. But Hanukkah might be the only one time that you can actually guarantee that everybody shows up for dinner on time. If you want to take it the other direction. So... I think that that's one of the reasons that the Jewish calendar is filled with appointed times of feasts and festivals. All of these things that are markers of God's relationship with his people because they're all moments to look forward to. Moments of anticipation. Moments of being reminded of what's really important. So even for Christmas or whatever it is, even more than the gift, it's the moment or whatever the thing that we look forward to, the moment, the wait is what sets it apart from just another day. The wait makes it worth it. And the same is true for us. We're going to look back here at the end of First Peter, and we'll cover this verse uh, in a coming week as well and more in depth. But he goes on to say that we're being purified. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's like, knowing all this, wait for the day. There may be times that you have to endure trials and testing, but those trials and the testing and all the stuff that you see surrounding you that's hard is only serving to refine you for the purpose that God has in this life and in the next. The purpose of this refinement is right here in this sentence at the very end. And it's this. That our lives would result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I would say at the revelation of Jesus Christ in our lives every day. Not just then. Now and in eternity when all is revealed. So here's why you and I should be excited about this as we think about it today. This day is going to come sooner than we think. I know it's easy to get worn down. I know it's easy to look around this world and say, man, this place is going to Helena, Montana in a handbasket. <laughs> or as a good friend of mine, you say, this place is going to HHH. You know what I mean. It's easy to look around this world and think that. It's easy to look around this world and be discouraged. It's easy to look around this world and say, man, it's hard for me to see God here sometimes. That's where we come in. When people look at us, that's when they should see God in this world. When people look at us in our lives, that's when the anticipation should start to build up in them. It's like, I don't know what's going on with that dude. I don't know what's up with her, but I want some of that. Whatever it is. Because they seem to know something that I don't know. They seem to have a hope that I don't have. And people, listen, this world is filled with people right now that just want one glimmer of hope. Just like if they had just this much, they could go on. And maybe you're there today. 
But this day is coming sooner than we think. And I think we're all going to be just as surprised as Paul and Peter and John and James and all these dudes. I mean, can you imagine when James, Jesus' brother, finally got it? Oh, dude, it was so obvious, man. I kind of blew it. Right? I'm just putting some flesh and blood on this here. For those of us who love Jesus, this coming day, but also this day, today, is our hope. It's something that we look forward to, and that anticipation should change the way that we live, the way that we love, and the way that we treat others. Because that's what Jesus asks us to do, right? To love God with everything, to love other people as ourselves, or better than ourselves. So here's my challenge today to you. Embrace the weight and hold out for hope. Embrace the weight. If God has you waiting for something today, he's doing something. He's working behind the scenes. He's working in you. He's straightening things out. Something's not ready. Something's not the way that it should be. And he's working it. So you've got to be patient. You have to embrace the weight and hold out for hope because the king is coming eventually. He is. You and I hold the only true source of hope for the world, and it's in our hearts. It's Yeshua, salvation, Jesus Christ, our King, Messiah. So may you and I be people that live like this is true. Because we've all been around the people that know the truth, but don't walk around like it's true. I don't want to be that guy. I went when Jesus shows, I was like, man, dude. People knew it was true just by looking at the smile on your face. He'd say it in Hebrew probably, but I don't speak Hebrew yet. May we live like this is true. So, because it's been weird already, I'm going to close with a really weird passage of Scripture. And this is actually a verse, a passage from Lamentations. You're like, oh, we're going to talk about hope, we're going to celebrate Jesus and Christmas, and we're going to read from Lamentations. If you don't know what Lamentations is about, to lament simply means to be deeply saddened by something. Lamentations is a book of sadness. I can tell you're excited already. But the writers of Lamentations used poetry to reflect on a few things, but mainly the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians. And this sparked this section of history for these people where they were led away for over 80 years. They were not in the country, the land that God had promised them. And they had no idea if they would ever make it back. And so... We have this strange passage in Lamentation, but I think it's a great choice for us for Advent. Because in the middle of all of the sadness and destruction, it's five chapters, five poems. Right here in the center, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Nestled right in the center of all of it, we have hope that we find in God. Check this out. Verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. It's the soul that's saying this. The Lord is my portion, says the soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. God works while we wait. Even when we can't see what he's doing, he's orchestrating the events of heaven and earth behind the scenes to accomplish his purposes in this world, but also his purposes in your life and in my life. And today, I invite you to trust him and trust in his unfailing love, the same love and mercy, folks, that moved him to take the first step to rescue you and me. He's not going to rescue you only to give you up, right? God's plans for your life will not be thwarted. When we follow him faithfully, our place in his family is guaranteed. And to me, that's hope that's worth waiting for.
So may you and I wait patiently, knowing that waiting is never wasted when you are waiting on God. Waiting is never wasted when you're waiting on God. Would you bow your hearts with me? God, we love you, and I'm just so thankful for for your love and the fact that you moved on us in your mercy. that you are a God of hope, but it's not some empty hope that's found in the future or found in what we can do, but it's all found in what you've done. So God, for the folks that are in this room today or those that might hear my voice that feel like they've been waiting for a long time for something to happen, whether it's to meet that someone, whether it's for somebody to come into their life or whether it's for a child to come into their life or whether it's for a situation to be resolved or for finances to straighten out. Just all of the things, God, the burdens that this world can sometimes bring our way, even when we're waiting for good things. I pray that we could put our hearts in your hands in the midst of this wait. That you would continue to give us glimpses of you in the midst of this wait and that we could hold out for your hope. Help us to be expectant. Help us to be uh, people who anticipate your arrival and live like it could be any moment. And we ask all these things in the name of your son. And we thank you for him. Amen.